Well, good evening. Welcome to Athey Creek tonight. Glad to have you all here this evening. Welcome to all the moms and dads who couldn't be here before because there was no childcare. Yeah, so we're thankful to have some of you, some of you guys that I haven't seen here on a prophecy update for a little while. Uh, so it's glad to have you. Um, and also, before I get going, don't forget uh, to, uh, you know, go, go online. And um, if you're watching online, don't forget to subscribe. That way, every time we do a prophecy update, you'll get kind of that. Also, the little alarm button, if you push the bell, it'll let you know when the next one's up. So that's kind of fun. It keeps you up to date. Uh, also, our Wednesday, Through the Bible Teaching, Sunday, Through the Bible Teaching, that's also available. All the teaching's free online. Check that out. And uh, share the Bible teachings, especially with your friends. Um, if you share these prophecy updates, they might think Think you're a little wacko, uh, <laughs> but the Bible teaching, man, you, uh, that's right, right through the Bible. Uh, it's a good thing to share as well. Uh, so that's that. Uh, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 24, real quick? Matthew 24. I found a statement this week. Where do you think I found this statement right here? Um, the statement goes like this. Famines, floods, pestilence, drought, plague, war, and rumors of war, these are the key issues facing the world today. Where, where did I find that? Can anyone take a guess? Huh? <laughs> the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Um, it might sound a little bit like the Bible. Uh, in fact, here's what the Bible says. Matthew 24, real quick. I didn't get this statement from the Bible this week, uh, but it does sound like the Bible. Um, it's, here's what Jesus said. Um, just, and this is, you know, Prophecy Update 101 right here is when the, when the, the disciples asked Jesus in verse three of Matthew 24. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yes for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains, as you, as you guys that have looked in this stuff, you know. So yeah, Jesus said, this is what the end will look like before my coming. And he says, these things must come to pass. Um, so when I, I saw this this week, I was, I was kind of praying about, Lord, there's so many things with prophecy updates you could tackle or talk about. It's dizzying. And there's other resources that are great out there. Amir Tafati is a great guy you can tune into or, uh, you know, some others that are out there. But, but I, I sure, I sure uh, you know, love to just pray about, Lord, what would you like me to kind of tackle on any given prophecy update? And uh, when I saw this, I just thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of focus on this because I got this, this statement um, from this, this guy right here. Uh, this is kind of an interesting statement. Um, this, of course, um, you know, uh, Claus Schwab, not Santa Claus. Um, he, he's the one that said that famine, floods, pestilent, drought, plagues, war, and rumors of war, these are the key issues facing the world today. And here he goes on. The uh, invitation-only World Economic Forum Next week in Davos, uh, Switzerland, is just the place to find the answers provided by the select globalist elites. Former Klaus Schwab declared, uh, our founder, pardon me, Klaus Schwab declared Wednesday. 
to me, that's kind of hilarious. Uh, I don't know if it's hilarious or horrifying. Um, uh, it's interesting um, because he goes on in this, uh, in his, uh, by the way, his statement there. He says, the ret- return of war, epidemics, and climate crisis. Uh, all, Jesus missed that one, by the way, climate crisis. Uh, no, no, he didn't. Jesus did talk about earthquakes and, and stuff like that, but Jesus didn't talk about climate change as much. Uh, that's interesting to me, just an FYI for those of you that are wondering. Uh, he did talk about, you know, hurricanes and disaster, stuff like that, but n- not, not because of climate change. But anyway, um, he, he said this, uh, this is the article. I'll just read, it says, um, all those disruptive forces have derailed the global recovery, Schwab, the forum's executive chairman told journalists in an almost biblical prognostication ahead of the convention that starts on Sunday. Those issues must be confronted in Davos and the global food crisis in particular needs our immediate attention, he added in an online briefing according to Irish Times. Um, you see, uh, this, this guy uh, is the one, the founder, who founded, I think it was over 50 years ago, he, he really founded this whole thing. Um, but it's basically billionaires meeting to tell millionaires what to do about normal people. Um, and, and trying to figure out how to solve all the problems in the world and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, this, in May, they, they had their little uh, World Economic Forum uh, in Davos, Switzerland, and they did, held their meeting. But, um, you know, basically it's the who's who of, uh, of political leaders, uh, corporate bosses, billionaire financiers, uh, highbrow academics, um, you know, and, and by the way, I have to say, if, and, and, you know, just researching and hearing some of the sessions there at this thing, um, you know, you, you, you kind of have to marvel, marvel at the, um, the lack of humility. Um, you know, they, they really do think they are the single uh, group that's going to solve the world's problems and that they, they conclude with sort of godlike power. Uh, in the hands of just a few uh, and a loss of individual freedoms for everybody else. Uh, if, you, if you're kind of wrapping it up in what they believe, basically we're going to take control of the whole thing, including you. Um, instead of st- the stages filled with the likes of um, Schwab uh, and Bill, Bill Gates, um, um, they, the others drew comparisons. Some of the people speaking drew comparisons. If you read the articles or watched the news, some of these, pe- these guys sort of... Uh, were compared to mad villains from the Jane Bond films. Uh, it's actually true. There's a people like, like are, are you kidding? These people are gonna take over the world? Um, so, you know, you take this guy, Klaus Schwab, and you, when you hear him and you see what he's saying, you can't help but kind of uh, have stuff like this in your, <laughs> in your mind. Uh, sorry, we, we made this, uh, it's, that's not a real picture. Um, that's a deep fake uh, that we made, um, but, um, but if you think I'm joking, uh, I'm not. If, if you've watched Klaus Schwab, you, you, it, it is a little bit funny to, to sort of see the James Bond villain, but try to get past that part and hear what he's actually saying. In this little uh, minute long clip that I snipped of his kind of introductory speech, listen to what he's saying. If you can hear it, you might want to crank it up out there at the sound booth. Here we go. Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us, by a powerful community as you here in this room. We have the means to improve the states of the world, but two conditions are necessary. The first one is that we act all as stakeholders of larger communities, 
that we serve not our only self-interests, but we serve the community. That's what we call stakeholder responsibility. And second, that we collaborate. And this is the reason why you find many opportunities here during the meeting to engage into very action and impact-oriented initiatives to make progress related to specific issues on the global agenda. Now, this guy is the globalist globalist. He's, he's the guy that is all about the one world unity and one world, even government and health and financial. And he's the one who really wants that, along with the people that show up at this. Uh, they're all kind of on board. Um, but see, with the stuff that he just said there, if that's not bad enough, if you hear all the other stuff that he says, it should make you concerned. Um, now, good thing as Christians, uh, I don't believe in doom and gloom. I believe in boom and zoom, right? We believe the rapture of the church. So this stuff, when I see these things starting to formulate like the Bible says will happen, and I'll get into that in a second, it just makes me excited for the rapture of the church and the hope of Christ. And it makes me want to share the gospel that much more. So let's keep a perspective here. If I wasn't a Christian though, if I wasn't a believer in Christ and the rapture of the church, then I would be a little nervous about what this guy's saying. Um, because if you take what he just said at his introductory speech there, what about a couple years ago when he said this in the World Economic Forum? He, and if you've heard this, it's amazing. He said, you will own nothing and be happy. Um, and that, that kind of sums it up. Um, kind of the, you know, we're gonna take everything you own, we want you to own nothing, and we will control your lives because you're not smart enough to really handle it. So we, the World Economic Forum and the world leaders, we will uh, control you into happiness and you'll be delirious with happiness. And by the way, um, this, this has been tried, if you don't know that, it's been tried over and over again in um, communism and socialism. Uh, and the reason communism and socialism will never work is because humanity is sinful. And by the way, I have to say, capitalism is not working as well right now because of the same reason. The, you know, it's funny how all the world governments start to fail because sin. If any one of those world governments were in place and people were sinless, then communism would work. Uh, also socialism, and, and I have to say, capitalism gave a better run than all the other ones. But even with that, there's still greed and evil. And because of that, capitalism seems to be failing. Um, you know, it's what de Tocqueville said, you know, uh, a couple centuries ago when he said, America will be great as long as she's good. But when she ceases from being good, she will cease from being great. And that's why the American experiment was working so well is because at least we had, you know, Christian foundations and we had, you know, godly perspectives. We weren't sinless by any stretch, even back then, of course. But there was at least a worldview that was more biblical by the early founders of this country. And as we get further and further away from that, we're just like all the other governments that have, you know, come and gone to evil. And so here we are with Dr. Evil, um, you know, as I call him, uh, you know, the founder of the World Economic Forum. Now, you know, are you saying, Brett, are you, are you saying that, you know, Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist? No, of course not. I don't, I don't name antichrists. Uh, and we won't, I don't think we'll know who the antichrist is um, until we're, you know, raptured. And because uh, it says in 2 Thessalonians, if you remember, <clears throat> the antichrist will be revealed after the church is taken out of the way. Then the man of sin will be revealed. So um, 
tough on us. You know, we, we won't really know who it is until we're taken up to be with, in heaven. And I don't know, will we even care then? We'll be at the marriage feast of the Lamb. <laughs> Just having a great time with Jesus in heaven. Uh, meanwhile, back in the hall of justice or earth, uh, it's gonna be a problem and the Antichrist is gonna be on the scene. But, you know, uh, but basically, no, he's not the Antichrist, but he is, him and his billionaire cronies, uh, there at Davos uh, are, are setting the stage <clears throat> for what the Bible talks about. <clears throat> the book of Revelation in chapter 17, as many of you know, describes uh, several things. Uh, 17 and 18 describes a one world government, uh, a one world economic system, and basically a one world religion that's gonna be led ultimately by this coming world leader called Antichrist. I don't believe it's this guy. Um, Schwab, this guy, he's a German born economist um, and leader of this uh, and founder of the World Economic Forum. Um, But he's basically the poster boy for authoritarianism after putting all of his um, elitist dreams, he put them all in sort of um, book form. You can read them. Uh, The first book was The Fourth Industrial Revolution, uh, published in 2017, which basically uh, predicts a technology-driven future that works for all. Um, And so that was kind of a scary uh, writing of his, and you can hear a lot of his worldviews in that. But then came the COVID-19, The Great Reset, and that was his next book. As, um, and, and if you've heard about the Great Reset, um, some attribute that, for that kind of the Great Reset concept uh, to this guy, um, which was published back in 2020 and has become sort of the de facto motto uh, for the globalist leaders, you know. And, and by the way, um, these guys used to have sort of more of a, it seemed almost more secretive, like a secret plan, but it's not so secret anymore. They're, they're just letting it rip. They're basically boldly telling everybody, here's what we wanna do. We want you to own nothing. We're gonna take control of your lives because you don't know how to take care of yourself and you're ruining the planet. We're gonna save the planet with our brilliance and our abilities and our money. Um, and, uh, it, it, and, and so after his introductory you know, statements at Davos, um, of course, there was a, a lot of uh, speakers and ideas and thinkers and billionaires who spoke after that. In one sort of eye-opening moment, um, this, the week there in May, um, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz um, implored the world's nations to cooperate and leave their national sovereignty in the past. Um, by the way, um, of all the nations in the world, who's probably the most still hanging on to nationalism? Pretty much the United States and Israel. <laughs> Israel is still somewhat of a nationalist country and they probably always will because they're the only ones who like them uh, or are happy about them. Israel has to be nationalist or else they will cease to exist. Um, you know, Israel can't play we are the world because the world's been so horrible to Israel. I mean, if you look at what the United Nations has done to Israel over the last, you know, 70 years, um, you, you kind of have to think, yeah, Israel's got to stand, stand alone. But you know, the United States were one of the few last ones to hold on to saying, God bless America, or you know, uh, as the previous administration, America first, you know, and we gotta make our homeland secure and take care of our people first, then we'll try to take care of the rest of the world. That's more of a nationalist sort of view. Globalists, um, they like to think of more just kind of you know, giving up your sovereignty for the greater good, and that we all need to submit to each other and trust each other uh, to take care of our nation uh, instead of the United States. And, and one of the things, you know, I went over in a previous Prophecy Update is the difference between nationalism and globalism. 
And you know how the previous administration is the perfect example of a nationalist organization, Donald Trump. And Biden administration, you, you know, I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying this is what it is. And he admits it, like he's not even, but they're more of a, you know, globalist sort of um, administration that we have right now. And I'll show you that just in a second. But, but um, basically, what did uh, Olaf Scholz, uh, the German chancellor say um, at, at his little speech, talking about giving up um, nationalism? He said, um, he said this, um, if some want to take us back to the past of nationalism, imperialism, and war, our answer is not with us. We stand for the future. When we realize that our world is becoming multipolar, then we must spur us. Uh, then that must spur us on to even more multilateralism, to even more international cooperation. So here's the German Chancellor, um, you know, uh, telling everybody, and you know, and and really, when he says stuff like this, you can almost see them looking down their nose at American nationalists, especially Americans who are nationalistic in, in nature. And that, that's basically, um, you know, people in America that uh, didn't vote for Biden, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and so they're, they're really trying to give a message across that we need to give up our nationalism, which means they're giving up a lot, actually. Um, in the Daily Caller article, uh, president of one of the world's biggest companies uh, brags about developing tech um, that can uh, monitor uh, where you travel and what you eat. Um, the, the president of uh, Alibaba Group, uh, a Chinese multinational company, tech company, bragged Tuesday about developing technology which would monitor the carbon footprint of consumers. Um, have you ever wondered what your carbon footprint looks like compared to other people's? Here's the funny thing. The Davos, all the billionaires that were there, I think their carbon footprint's a lot bigger than yours. Because they all flew their private jets to Davos. Uh, how many of you did that, flying your private jet to, to where you're going? Like, we, we don't do that. Um, but it is, there, there's a huge level of hypocrisy with this group. I'm just gonna say it. Um, but, but this guy, he says, our tech, he, he, if you hear the video of him saying, he's, he's very braggadocio, you know, just, um, we have a technology where we're gonna be able to measure your carbon footprint of consumer. Um, by the way, in Tualatin, uh, I remember, <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this, but Debbie and I, we got our electric bill. And maybe some of you, I don't know if this happens all over the place, but in Tualatin, when we lived there a few years ago, our electric bill came and compared us to all our neighbors. How many of you guys have your electric bill compare you to your neighbors? Oh man, it was me alone. <laughs> Debbie and I, we, we got this, we got this um, you know, our monthly bill came. That's funny. I, I thought all you guys must be getting it. Uh, but it said, your, your house consumes 70% more uh, electricity than all the other neighbors. Uh, you know, now I had at that time five, you know, virtually adults, uh, you know, high school age and above uh, adults. And um, plus I do use a lot of electricity. And if they only knew how fast I drive and how much gas I use, I, I'm sure it'd be even worse. They'd probably put me in prison uh, for my carbon footprint. But, um, but <laughs> all that to say, uh, I remember thinking this is the beginning where they're starting to track who the culprits are that use too much electricity. And now I'm wondering why we got that and we're the only ones. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to bring that slide next time of our bills from then. Um, but this guy's gonna start measuring your car. Like, so if you, if you drive you know, a Prius, you're, 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 you're okay. And you'll be able to go out and have fun and go to the Schnitzer and watch a concert. But if you drive an F-150 or worse yet, a 250, 
uh, you are in big trouble because your carbon footprint, so you will be limited on how much, you'll be rationed, you know, how much fuel you get to use and stuff like that because your footprint is, and how much have you traveled and for what purposes? And they're gonna start measuring, not only that, but what you eat. What you eat has to do with the carbon footprint, uh, which is an interesting thing. He said, as he goes on in this speech, he says, we're developing um, through technology and ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. Um, and he said, um, what does that mean? Evans continues, that's where, uh, where they're traveling, how they're traveling, what they're eating, and uh, what they're consuming on the platform. Uh, stay tuned, he said excitedly as he told the crowd. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something we're working on. And the cloud, crowd, of course, applauded with thunderous approval uh, about having all of our stuff uh, tracked. Um, now, this is the reason this is all important. This kind of leads to really what the Bible talks about. Um, and and we've, we've mentioned that one world government or uh, new world order. Do you guys remember when uh, George Bush first used this term and we were all like, what? Uh, we, we couldn't believe when he said it uh, about this great new world order that's coming. And, and now they, they don't really call it that as much, but that's really what um, you know, Davos is. It's about you know, great reset, resetting the world into their uh, you know, Shangri-La that they think the world is gonna happen. So um, it seems to me that as I read the Bible, this new world order or this new whatever you wanna call it is going to be in place during the tribulation period. And that, that system seems to be being forged right under our noses. You know, uh, the, the idea of globalism and a one world monetary unit, uh, you know, we're looking at cryptocurrency and, you know, it's not doing great right now and, and it does tend to kind of go around. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of talk about, a, a, you know, changing the whole monetary system of the world. That's, that's not even interesting anymore. People talk about that stuff all the time. Um, but this globalism economically, globalism uh, politically, and, and globalism religiously is even part of the, the deal. And the Bible tells us that's the way it's gonna be. Now, um, you, you know, it used to be hard if you're a Bible guy like me, and I've been reading about this stuff since I was a kid. And um, one of the things I remember it being more difficult, maybe you're old enough to remember, it was more difficult to figure out how would anybody be sucked into such a stupid idea? The idea of globalism. Like who would give up national sovereignty uh, to the rest of the world? And who would, who would you know, fire your current world leader and then you know, come on board with some other world leader and be submitted to that? It just seemed like such a, a stretch, even 20 years ago, right? Um, but, <laughs> but today, um, you're kind of seeing some of the tools and the tactics they're gonna use to make people want to. Not only, they, not only would they want to, but they're gonna be kind of driven to jump on board with this new world order. Um, and it won't really be in, as much in their control. Um, what is the number one tool that they're going to use? I think we're starting to see what it is. Um, what do you think? Fear, that's it. Um, they're, gonna, they're gonna make us be afraid enough to do stupid stuff. Uh, Brett, that would never happen. <laughs> we laugh because uh, since 2020, we've seen that. Um, happen, you know, the, the tool they're gonna use, I think in the future, and we'll, it's, they're using it now, but it's only gonna be greater and greater as it gets closer. So until the rapture of the church, we shouldn't be shocked if people are driven more by fear. And, and that's one of the things the old United States, you know, a previous generation, fear wasn't part of the deal. You just said, we're gonna push through it and be courageous. And you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. 
You know, that, that used to be the old United States, um, but now we've watched the demonstration of really painful fear, the uh, things that weren't even really fearful. Um, now, can you imagine, the, 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 what are the things that people use to cause fear? World crisis. Whether it's created or uh, fictitious or real, the world likes to use anything that's fearful to make people jump on board with doing stupid stuff. Um, that's just something we've observed. That's observable today. Can you imagine um, with all the stuff that we see going on in the world today, plus just add on top of that, the rapture of the church. Millions and millions of people disappearing. There's a crisis. And as you know, they say, particularly that group, hey, don't let any crisis go to waste. I'm pretty sure they'll use the rapture of the church to cause horrible fear and consternation in the world so that people will be much, even more willing today than today. They'll be willing to jump on board with things that are just not, not good for anyone. Um, so the rapture of the church will, will freak the world out. And I believe people like this Davos group, World Economic Forum or others um, will use that fear to drive, whether it's the World Health Organization or United Nothing, or I mean, UN, United Nations. Um, if it's anybody's guess what kind of crisis the planet will be witnessing after the rapture of the church. But fear makes people obey. Um, you know, uh, is anybody else shocked? And, and man, I gotta be careful with this because I know there's people and, 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 uh, that still wear masks, even that come to our church. And man, if you wanna wear a mask at our church, you're welcome and we love you and it's, it's great. And, and I understand there's some people that have different health situations where they're even more sensitive to other kinds of things. Um, I'm of the, uh, you know, opinion along with science um, that the, you know, the surgical masks and stuff, they don't really hold out the coronavirus uh, because they're too microscopic, too tiny. Um, a mask could help you from larger you know, uh, issues and stuff. So there might be a reason for somebody to wear a mask. But um, the, you know, we still see so many people wearing masks. And I've, have you seen some of these interviews? Like some of these groups are going out and interviewing people on the street. And it's, it's painful um, why people are still, they'll even admit, well, I just got really comfortable wearing a mask. And I, and some people, this, this is a true thing. I know a teacher in a public school, several of her children won't take their mask off because they think they're too ugly. This, this is actually little children that when they took their masks off, the class laughed at them because they hadn't seen their face. They got laughed at. And so they're putting their mask back on. I know this teacher and I know the students. I mean, I know they're real. It's not a made up thing. That's, that's part of the psychology, by the way, that our world just totally ignored when it came to the masks. But the one that I just, I mean, I can understand people wearing masks for some reasons in some situations. I, I don't get outdoors, really. I don't get some of that. Um, uh, but I really don't get when people wear masks when they're driving alone in their car. <laughs> that's the one I just really, I'm sorry if that's you, but um, I'm not alone on this one, uh, by the way. Um, there's a lot of people that are kind of concerned about your mental health right now. Uh, we love you and we're doing an intervention right now. Um, you gotta stop wearing your mask in your car. There's absolutely no reason. Um, uh, I, I, I thought this was a good, uh, if you know JP Sears, check this out. I think it takes a courageous individual to boldly wear a mask while they're in their car by themselves. It's a pretty rare trait. We're like the Navy SEALs of the roadways. We're pretty elite. That's why you don't see very many of us, but you do see some of us. Wearing my mask while I'm by myself in my car basically says, I might have COVID, and if I do, 
I don't want to catch it for myself because when I'm in my car, I'm within six feet of myself. So technically, I'm breaking social distancing rules and I don't feel good about that. <laughs> oh man, uh, pretty, pretty tough. I mean, I, it's too many t- people today have given over to that spirit of fear and they're, they're literally doing things that are just um, you know, uh, not helping at all. Um, but instead of living with that spirit of fear, uh, we need to you know, maybe take the mindset of David, the psalmist, when he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, um, you know, I could go on and on. There's tons of scriptures that we as Christians are not supposed to be given over to that spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. This is what we're called to do. And, um, and you know, I, I'm all for logic and, you know, being careful. And I don't just want to glibly go on and get sick and all that stuff. But, but you know, we saw how that all, you know, was shaking out. And, um, and really, we, we need to be Christians who are not given to fearfulness. Um, and by the way, um, that fear is something that I think Christians, we get to rise above that because we have God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As Christians, we should be confident in the Lord, putting our trust in the Lord. And even if our days are numbered, and even if we do die, as Christians, we say, praise the Lord. Um, if, if that's the end of our life, well, but that's reckless. No, it's just trusting that the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord has a, an appointed time for you to die. And see, when you know that, man, you can live your life just totally free, knowing God knows the day I'm gonna kick the bucket. And to God, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Like even death should not be a fearful thing to the believer. If we really understand what the Bible teaches, if we really trust God for who he is and what he says, even if you get cancer and the diagnosis is as painful and, and hard as that can be, I'm not saying this uncaringly. I'm saying this as a pastor who sat by countless bedsides as people gave up their, this life with cancer. Um, but how many of them went saying, the Lord knows what he's doing? And we put our trust in the Lord. I'm not saying this glibly or naively. I'm saying this as a person who sat with people and done memorial services for friends who've died of things like cancer and other times. It's not an insensitivity. I'm sorry if you think that, but it's actually, there's so many people, especially in in the the shadow of of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That's the mindset of the believer. Now, take out all the church, take out the the rapture of the church, and then you've got the world left behind that's fearful, easily motivated with fear. And fear will eventually cause the world to look toward a man with a plan to solve all the world's problem. His title will be Antichrist, and the world will be sucked in. And they'll give over their sovereignty as a person, they'll give over their sovereignty as a nation to this Antichrist because of probably fearful situations. Now, by the way, um, again, I know I risk, especially with these prophecy updates, sounding very political, but I'm, uh, I'm just reporting things that are kind of important. But um, you, you have to understand our current president and his administration, they're on board with Davos and globalism, very much so. And, and, and again, Biden and his administration, has, they haven't even tried to hide that fact. But one of the things that people are scratching their heads and trying to wonder, I can answer a real problem for you right now. How is it that he's letting the gas prices go up to where they are today? And there's still people trying to figure it out. Stop trying to figure it out. We know exactly what he's doing. Um, And it goes with this whole uh, Davos plan. It's in lockstep with what the Davos people are saying. 
Um, this article, uh, World Net Daily article, Davos elites warn nations not to resist painful global transition. Um, don't resist painful global transition. What does that mean? Well, just ask Joseph Biden. Here's what he said uh, just a few weeks ago. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. Do you understand what he just said there? He said, the world will be stronger when this whole thing is over. That is, when you run out of gas um, and you're, you're walking again or riding a bicycle or using wind power to, to you know, get your Maserati up to speed. Uh, <laughs> Or, you know, it's funny because I don't use Tesla or electric cars because um, the carbon footprint, I'm, uh, you know, I've done some work on this. The carbon footprint of, of those cars are really just as big as uh, fossil fuel vehicles, um, as it turns out, with the batteries and the whole thing. It's, it's just kind of a funny, I'm not anti-electric car. I would get one if I could get an electric Ford Lightning. They got the new F-150. Uh, I would get one, but supply chain problems, uh, which that's a whole nother topic we could talk about. But um, I mean, uh, electric cars, that's great. If you, if you got one, awesome. But um, what he said, and by the way, even Musk, who's kind of at the forefront of electric cars, if, if you'd agree, he said it's gonna be, what, what did he say? Like 2033 or something. By the time it's even viable to see people really make the shift completely over to, away from fossil fuel. Um, and that's a guy who knows about this as the you know, uh, founder of Tesla and what have you. But echoing President you know, Biden's comments to European leaders uh, at the World Economic Forum in May uh, there uh, described the record gas prices as just what he just said, as part of the painful period of transition to alternative energy that should, uh, should not be resisted. In other words, th it's purposeful that gas prices are going up and up and up. Did you see uh, yesterday, I, I took this uh, off uh, um, in California. It's, uh, there's places in California now, $8. But this is an old picture, it's from yesterday. Did you see today? Today, uh, some of the pumps in California are uh, uh, at $10. And they're, listen, they're installing new pumps because they don't have another uh, space for the, the next digit uh, for the $10 thing. So they're installing new counters uh, on the pumps because they know it's gonna be up over $10 a gallon. Um, so um, they're saying, sorry about the pain at the pump, uh, but it's a global transition to where we're no longer gonna, we're weaning ourselves, or this is their way of weaning you. Uh, off of fossil fuels, and, and it's all part of the global transition to their global Shangri-La. And America needs to be brought down anyway because we're still nationalists. So we need to be humbled. We need to show that we don't have all the luxuries we've once had, like being able to drive to work and stuff like that. Um, the, so uh, the German Vice Chancellor, Robert Hebeck, uh, uh, as some news reported, uh, said Monday that governments should not seek to protect their citizens from the consequences. That's what he said. Uh, you can look that up. Robert Havoc, uh, German vice chancellor. Uh, they, this is the kind of talk at Davos in Switzerland, at World Economic Forum. They're basically saying the same thing Biden just said, and it sounded so, you know, Biden-y the way he said it, but he, he was admitting uh, it's a painful transition that's gonna make the world stronger. That, that was his code word for uh, not able to drive fossil fuel cars any longer. Um, so now the West Coast is seeing, you know, $8 a gallon uh, in some places. And, it's, and it shows no sign of slowing down. 
Uh, and it probably won't for a while. You know, we're, we're way behind the curve now. So you say, okay, Brett, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, it has to do with what the Bible says about this one world government. Um, and, um, and the Bible has a lot to say about all this stuff. Um, let's do a little review of what the Bible says about the one world government and particularly this one leader that's gonna come with all the answers. Uh, I wanna do a little review on that because I think it's worth taking a look at. You can turn to these passages or jot them down um, for, for speed. I'm gonna put them up here. But in the book of Revelation, you know, the apostle John sees the beast, um, also called the Antichrist, uh, rising out of the sea, uh, having seven heads and, se and 10 horns. And, and by the way, if, if you're new to all this, one of the first things you should do is, is um, do a good study of the book of Revelation. We've, we've done several here at AFI, and you can just go right through verse by verse with us. So go online, look up Revelation, and we've done, I think we've done two separate times through the book of Revelation, and you can get through it. It's only like 30 teachings, so it's really no big deal. Uh, <laughs> only 30 hours of listening. Uh, but no, uh, if, you're, if you're curious, because there's some, there's some really, the book of Revelation's amazing, and the person who reads the book gets a blessing, the Bible says, and it's true. Um, but I'm gonna give you some of the high points just to get us all kind of reminded. Um, this, this beast coming out of the sea, we read about that in Revelation chapter three, verse one, where it says, I stood up on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, does anybody remember what is the Revelation? The book of Revelation tells us what that sea is. Does anybody remember what it is? The nations of the world, right? So somewhere out of the nations is gonna come Antichrist, having seven heads and 10 horns, and upon his horns, 10 crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Now, before you think, oh, he's gonna look like a monster, this is where the Bible does tell us that these are figurative um, sort of uh, connotations of who this guy's gonna be. And um, we know from other passages what these numbers of things are, seven heads, 10 horns, 10 crowns. We know this from other stuff. Um, so you gotta remember the sea is the nation of the world. The, you know, the 10, um, uh, you know, when it comes out of the sea with these 10 crowns and upon his, you know, 10 horns, these horns, the 10 horns shouldn't be confusing if you read the book of Daniel. You see, after you're done studying the book of Revelation, then go to the book of Daniel. We also did a couple studies of that and you can go through that. But uh, those two books, you know, they unlock each other um, and it helps us understand what all these things are. But these 10 horns are also talked about uh, concerning the vision. Daniel had a very similar vision of what John the apostle saw right here in Revelation. In Daniel chapter seven, the verses 16 through 24, we see that um, we can conclude that um, you know, there's a, some sort of world system that's gonna be inaugurated by this coming antichrist, this beast, this world leader. And don't picture some evil guy with a cape and a pitchfork. He's gonna be a slick political leader with some very polished words. That's what the Bible says about him. He's gonna speak great things and people are gonna just be in awe of him. So I, I don't think he's gonna be this little you know, deviled ham guy running around, yeah, eh, eh. He's gonna be, people are gonna go, wow, this is the guy, we look, it's gonna have the charisma of a Ronald Reagan, you know, uh, you know uh, diplomacy, you know, of a Henry Kitchener or whoever, you know, depending on who your fa faves are, you know, the likability of an Ike Eisenhower or whatever, but he's gonna have all that kind of in one big package deal, only he's gonna be evil. Um, so Daniel 7, verses 16 through 24, basically tells us that the most powerful horn will defeat the other nine and begin to wage war against the, the tribulation saints. Remember, we're raptured, taken up to be in heaven when all this comes down. But there will be people after the rapture of the church, 
that'll be saved, both the Gentiles that'll be saved during the tribulation, they'll be tribulation saints, but also you have the Jewish nations, nation that will be saved during the tribulation period. So he's gonna make war against them according to Daniel chapter seven. And these 10 horns, or as, as we learn from the book of Daniel, 10 nation confederacy, um, also seen by the way in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel's uh, description of the statue in Daniel chapter two. Uh, verses 41 and 42. Let's take a look at that. Um, it's consisting of 10 entities represented by 10 toes of the statue. It says in Daniel chapter two about this vision. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. So these 10 toes or 10 kingdoms. Now we know from uh, other, other places in, the, uh, in that prophecy that um, it says, and in the days of these kingdoms, the Messiah is gonna come. If you read the rest of Daniel chapter two. So there's gonna be 10 kingdoms up and running when the second coming of Christ comes. That's after the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Christ is gonna return. But in those days of 10 kings, so who in the world are these 10 kingdoms, the 10 toes or the 10 horns that this antichrist is gonna be using but actually abusing? Um, Who are those? The answer, don't know for sure. And um, there's times where we really thought we knew for sure, but then there's other times you kind of start to wonder, what about that? So when you remember the, the statue of Daniel, you saw the head of gold. Does anybody remember what kingdom was that? Babylon. You had the arms of silver. Who was that? The Greeks, Alexander the Great. Then came the belly of brass. Anybody? Oh, pardon me, the shoulders and arms, I should say, they were the Medo-Persians. You guys threw me off there. You guys said Greeks. Medo-Persians. The belly of brass was the Greeks. Then the iron legs was what? Rome. And then out of the iron legs came these feet um, of the, out of the Roman Empire, two feet with you know, five toes apiece. And, and then it says in the days of those 10 toes, that's when the second coming of Christ is. What happened, quiz time for you Bible students, what happened between the Roman Empire and the tri- at the end of the tribulation? Where's all the other kingdoms between? Anybody? It's during the church age which remember Daniel, the book of Daniel is about the Jews and what's going on. The Jews were scattered and not even a nation. The stopwatch stops with the Roman empire, AD 70. Remember that? And when will that kick back into gear? When the rapture of the church, when the fullness of the Gentiles, 11, uh, Romans 11, 25 and 26, when the rapture of the church happens, then click, the stopwatch begins again. The, um, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, the Jews are back up and running because the Lord wakes them up in the tribulation period. And um, it's during that time there will be 10 nations led by this coming world leader, Antichrist. But the description here is fascinating because the Roman Empire is synonymous with iron. You hear the, the iron fist of the Roman Empire. And that would make sense. Like I told you, if you include the Byzantine era, the Romans ruled for 666 years. That's interesting. But the Roman Empire never really was conquered, if you remember, and they just sort of fizzled into what is today mainly Europe. Um, that's the Roman Empire today is much of Europe. But what's interesting about the, that the fullness of the Roman Empire, if you look at a map at Roman Empire at its peak, what other nations were also included with Europe? Anybody? Much of the Middle East. Do you remember that? 
The Romans, they came and conquered Jerusalem, of course, and, and way out, even into places in Jordan and Iraq, um, all the way down to the Northern uh, Africa and Libya and all these places, like the Roman Empire was huge. And you can kind of see where maybe in the last days, those 10 nations are gonna come from that region. And the part iron, part clay starts to make sense. When you compare Europe with the uh, Arabian people or the Muslims that might just be part of that 10 nation confederation. Now what's interesting, if you, if you read Ezekiel 38, the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, there's all kinds of nations that are confederated in that. It's not the exact same confederation necessarily, but it could be. They could be linked. But what is the Tentos? We really don't know, but it could be any number of things and we're seeing that today and I'm just gonna throw some, some food for thought. Um, there's a bunch of different groups we could talk about. We could talk about United Nothing, that's the circle of stars. And right now, uh, what is it, 11 or 12 stars in a circle? You say, Brett, it's gotta be 10. I remember when this first circle of stars came out, when uh, back in the, when they were first talking about the European Union, um, uh, remember the Treaty of Rome back in the 1950s? I wasn't alive yet, but I read about it. Uh, but the Treaty of Rome is what really started the European economic community, which eventually became the European Union. But I remember when they reached 10 stars, and we're like, oh, it's the 10 toes of Daniel. You know, we were all excited. Do you guys remember that? Some of you guys remember the 10 stars of the, of the uh, United Nations um, uh, or, or the European Union, I should say. Um, but then they went 11, 12, and then they got up to like 23. Uh, and, and then you're like, wait a minute, uh, maybe they're not the 10 toes. But you, one thing about the, the European Union, you gotta remember is with Brexit and all this, nations come and go out of there. It, it wouldn't take much for nations to just jump out, especially after the rapture of the church. It's gonna shake everything up. And you can, you can kind of see a scenario where the European Union says, okay, you guys are out and we're sticking with these 10. And maybe that's gonna be part of the 10 toes, who knows? Or what about the United Nothing, the UN? That's the middle logo there. Um, you know, uh, um, or, or NATO, or the World Economic Forum, like there's groups of nations, like you can see these different groups that could possibly be somehow a confederation of nations. But somehow it's gotta kind of fit with the 10 toes of Daniel's prophecy coming out of the old Roman Empire. And I believe that probably will include both nations from the part of Rome that was Europe, but was also part of the nations, including some of the clay. And does the Arab nations fit very well or work together well with the European people? No, you can see the scenario where iron and clay don't mix and they're not gonna mix very well, but the Antichrist, this coming world leader, is gonna use that weakness to subdue those tentos. If you read the book of Daniel, it's all right there. Are you guys still with me on that? So the political scene of the world is really staged no matter how you shake it. I can see any number of ways those 10 toes shake out uh, during the, the tribulation period. We're gonna be in heaven. We're gonna be with the Lord during that time. But you can see the stage being set. Whoever those 10 toes are and however they come to power, scripture is clear the beast will either destroy them or reduce their power to nothing more than just figureheads. Um, but uh, in the end, these nations will do his bidding. Um, John goes on to describe the ruler of this vast empire in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, um, giving this, this uh, world leader power and authority given by Satan himself. Check this out, Re Revelation 13, 2. It says, and the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard and his feet were the feet of a bear and his mouth the, uh, the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Who's the dragon, anybody? That's Satan himself. 
Where does the coming world leader get his power? Uh, Satan, don't forget, Satan does have power. Now, good news, the Lord is more powerful, way more powerful. But Satan does have power. We can't sell that short. Um, And he's gonna give this coming world leader, Antichrist, um, great power and a seat of great authority. He's gonna be the world leader during the tribulation period, followed, uh, followed by receiving worship uh, from the whole world. If you read on in verses three and four of Revelation 13, it says, and they worshiped um, and, uh, the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Um, by the way, isn't it something, this language is kind of like people after they saw the greatness of God, who is like unto the Lord. That's something that they said about God. But, but Satan's gonna finally get what he wanted. He, what did Satan want? Well, let's, let's remember, um, you know, uh, he's gonna have authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Revelation 13, seven, if you read on, it was given to him to make war with the saints. Who's the saints there? The tribulation saints and the Jews and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So one of the things you have to remember when you see Klaus Schwab and his cronies um, wanting to be, take over power over these sovereign nations and the last big one to really fall would be the United States losing its nationalists, people that like us that believe kind of like God bless America and we wanna be a separate nation. We wanna be a city on a hill that's uh, we wanna, we'd love to see revival in our country and not getting closer to one world government, but more godly government. That, that's what we'd love to see. Now, we also, most of us believe that that may not happen. We, could, we don't see America in the, in the prophecy uh, scene. It seems we're out of the picture. Um, but all the nations are gonna eventually have to be subdued and they'll, they'll, they'll have power over all those nations. From this description here in Revelation 13, seven, um, it's logical then to assume that this person is the leader of that one world government and will have sovereignty over all other governments. That's really what these people are trying to do at Davos and other, other groups as well. Um, uh, it'll be the ultimate power grab. Uh, the, and we might just be seeing some of the precursors to that today. Um, you know, it's, it's been interesting to watch, you know, Americans give up their own little personal sovereignty when it comes to uh, the World Health Organization and, and what we can and can't do and what they're trying to take away or, or do uh, with our freedoms. Um, you know, uh, it used to be, like I said earlier, difficult to imagine how such, you know, diverse systems of government would be in power and be able to control Americans. Like, who's gonna control us? Um, but the logical conclusion is the disasters that are talked about in the book of Revelation, the tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 11, Uh, They'll be so devastating along with the rapture of the church, that'll be so crazy that the people will embrace anything and anyone who promises to give them relief. You almost saw that, just a little snapshot of that during the coronavirus because there was a season there where people were like, whatever we have to do to get back to normal, uh, stick us with whatever. We don't care what it is, just stick us, immunize us. We don't care that it's not tested and we'll wear masks and we'll be in, in vaccinated. And people just said, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, an experimental, it wasn't even really a vaccine, but people just said, yeah, t- we'll take it. 
you can almost sort of see how the world is being primed and ready. Um, once entrenched in power, the beast, the Antichrist, this coming world leader, um, with Satan's power behind him, you don't forget that, he will be able to move and establish absolute control over the people of the earth to accomplish his true end. And, and what is Satan's true end is that worshiping of him. That's what he wants. Not only does he want power over the world, but he also wants the worship that Satan has been seeking ever since being kicked out of heaven. Um, what do you mean, Brett? Do you remember what Satan's ultimate goal was? Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14, because this is where Satan, his whole plan is revealed. Um, you know, Isaiah says, Oh, how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. This was what Lucifer, Satan, his whole goal was to be like God. But he says, I will, I will. And by the way, if you're that person saying, I will, I will, I will, rather than Lord, thy will be done, that's a very satanic kind of uh, behavior, being like Satan, is to say, I will, I will, I will. Um, that's what Davos, by the way, we will solve the world's problem. We are the godlike creatures that are gonna bring peace and harmony and the Gene Waddenberry Star Trek uh, Shangri-La that is here to come. We are the ones who are gonna do that. We're gonna usher in. The United Nations has just a part of Isaiah chapter two printed on their stone, you know, that they're the ones who are gonna have people beat their plows, uh, their swords into plows and their pruning hooks into, you know. Uh, you know. But they're taking credit for something that's not gonna happen from them. Satan is gonna use those entities, those agencies that, that are arrogant like Satan. I will, I will, like the Davos arrogance. Satan's gonna use that arrogance to make it so people will bow down and worship him. And that's gonna happen during the tribulation period. Um, and so how will he do this? Uh, by controlling commerce uh, and the world currency and world religion. That's what the book of Revelation talks about. Um, isn't it interesting because we even saw a little bit of that with some of the other things that happened in 2020 with COVID and other things. Um, let's go back to the book of Revelation chapter 13 and this description of the one world leader, Antichrist. It says, and he will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, um, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he that hath the mark. Nor the, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we know the number of his name as it goes on to say is the number 666. Um, so anyone who refuses to take the vaccination, I mean, sorry, to wear the mask, I mean, I'm sorry, to wear the mark um, will be unable to buy food, clothing, or other necessities of life. By the way, isn't it weird to live in America? Like this is the first time in my lifetime to live in an America where you can't get what you want. Like we've been so deliriously blessed Man, if you wanna get a new pickup, you just go down and get a new pickup. Uh, you can't do that today if you were shopping for pickups. Good luck finding a new truck. Um, except for, you know, you might find some of those um, um, Honda pickups. Uh, uh, I know, no, I'm just kidding, sorry, I'm just joking. 
Um, but, uh, you know, like, where do you get a good pickup today? You, you can't find them. In fact, they're selling all the used ones now for more than the brand new one costs because you get them on Craigslist for, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 more than what that guy paid for them new. That's how desperate. You can't get baby formula. Who would have thought we'd be living in an America where mothers cannot buy baby formula for their babies. Food shortages are very real. That's something we Americans, this is all new to us. The world, much of the other part of the world has known this for a long time. But when you start feeling like, wow, I can't even get stuff that I'd like to go buy, you start to realize that's, that's what's gonna happen. And even with the coronavirus, um, there were times where you maybe wanted to go into a certain store, but you couldn't. And, and restaurants were shut down. And suddenly like things that we normally had for comforts, they were taken from us. And we're like, oh man, that's a bummer. And, and it, was, it's, it really shook up a lot of people. But can you imagine, it's really not that far of a leap to understand that there's a system with all these people I think that I just showed you are gonna be sort of the, the, the busy bees working for Antichrist someday. They're gonna make it so you really can't go shopping unless, you, unless that, you know, they'll force you to make sure and comply and get the mark of the beast. Otherwise, you can't get groceries. And people are gonna be so fearful and so desperate that, um, um, that they're gonna give in and take the mark of the beast. But the Bible tells us anyone who refuses the mark will be unable to buy food, clothing, or other necessities of life. And we're seeing that conditioning happening, I believe, today. We're just seeing it happening. Uh, vaccine ma- mandates, you lose your job. How many Athey Creekers? You know, it's, it's amazing how many Athey Creekers um, we watch. You know, here we're a church of over, you know, 10,000 people. And um, I, only, I only did two coronavirus funerals. Um, Athey Creek did a few more than that, a couple of our other pastors, a couple. But, and, and by the way, all but one of the, the funerals we did here at Athey in the last, you know, years um, were massively other comorbidities, as they call them, um, major, you know. So it, you gotta understand, it wasn't even really, I think, coronavirus that took the ones that we know about. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I had coronavirus. Debbie got coronavirus and she got it really bad. Uh, you know, all my families had coronavirus. Um, so I'm not denying that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that it wasn't what everybody said it was. And, and what's interesting about, you know, um, about all this, you know, people that have been vaccinated now are, are almost more likely to get coronavirus now. They're admitting that. The, if you've been boosted, you're actually uh, kind of in a more risk, risky situation. But they basically made you, whether you liked it or not, you know, we didn't see the actual disease or sickness hurt people as much as the mandates, for example. Um, we have many police officers, military, nurses, uh, fire uh, personnel um, had to move out of our state away from Athey Creek. Some of you guys are watching online from Boise and Texas. You know who you are, and I love you guys, and we miss you. But uh, we lost dozens of people because of the, the vaccine mandates. And people just said, we're done with Oregon. We're out of here, and we're gonna go do something else. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's something that actually really did hit families and hurt people uh, in this last couple of years. Um, and it's not just that, you know, the vaccine passport, if you tried to travel, uh, that, that's a precursor. Uh, no mask, no service, precursor. No g- gathering as churches, you can't meet as churches. That's a precursor of shutting down, you know, churches are uh, enemy number one, by the way, for people like Davos. And uh, these guys, they, they, you know, we're the one with the message that goes against everything they stand for. And so there's gonna be the shutting down of churches. Um, your carbon footprint uh, tracked. 
uh, disinformation monitored or, or as it's so called. Um, and they tried to, you know, pass off this uh, ministry of truth. Uh, you know, I talked about that last prophecy update and I'm happy to report that it was so radically wacko as I suggested last time that they actually uh, have kind of let it sort of fall apart and they, uh, she stepped down, the, the Mary Poppins lady and all that. So uh, thank the Lord for that because that was probably the biggest risk for me as a pastor to be able to teach the Bible was the, the Biden's ministry of truth. That was gonna put me at great risk. Uh, so interesting. But during the tribulation, no doubt the vast majority of people in the world will succumb to the mark of the beast because of fear and also just simply to survive. Um, again, that verse 16 there that we just read makes it clear that this will be a universal system of control where everyone rich and poor, small and great will bear the mark on their hand or in their hand or in their forehead. You gotta keep that preposition because it's not on, uh, it's in. But those who are left behind after the rapture of the church will be faced with this excruciating choice. You know, some of you had to deal with the choice. Do you get vaccinated or do you get fired? Some of you guys had to deal with that choice, but that choice is gonna be radical even more so during the tribulation period. Uh, but those that come to Christ during the tribulation, who's, the Bible talks about them, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, Revelation 13, eight um, uh, they're gonna choose to endure martyrdom if they reject the mark. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the beast, Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So if you're a Christian during the tribulation period, you accept Christ, um, it's gonna cost you. Uh, and you will not only be not able to buy and sell, but ultimately he will seek to kill you. And the process of the Bible tells us beheadings, will become uh, uh, the wave of the future. It's not a way to get ahead in the tribulation period. Uh, I joke, but it's not gonna be a joke then. You, you, that's why you should be a Christian now. You should be a Christian now. Today is the day of salvation. You don't wanna, you don't want. you think it's, uh, I'll be a Christian when, when you guys get raptured and all this stuff you talk about. I'll be a Christian then when I see you guys gone. If you can't be a Christian right now when it's easy peasy, what makes you think you're gonna be able to be a Christian when it will literally cost you your head in the tribulation period? Um, don't play games with God. Um, the Bible gives us all this information and one of the things it's meant to do is drive us to the, the, the faith and trust in our savior, Jesus, who has not appointed us to all this wrath that's gonna come down. Uh, and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, in chapter 13, Verse 15, it says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So that's the promise uh, of a global Christian martyrdom uh, during the tribulation period. That's what's gonna happen. Well, all that to say, man, I, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, you know, it's interesting when I see that, at the, you know, that, the, that those will not worship um, the image of the beast, one of the things I hope prophecy updates do is lets people know, wow, none of this is new. Everything that's happening in the world is stuff the Bible's been predicting for millennia and we're watching it all unfold exactly how the Bible says. Um, you know, um, uh, by the way, let me, um, let me talk about this a little bit about Christianity. Did you know that like being a Christian today, part of the end time scenario is being a Christian, you're gonna be hated, men will despise you and hate you and even persecute you. Jesus promised that 
but did you see, like this is just one of many things, but basically on Tuesday, ABC's The View co-host Tara uh, Setemayer, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, Setemayer, uh, appeared to blame mass shootings on the rise in violent Christian nationalism. Um, uh, this, uh, it's part of the Christian nationalism, this rise in violent Christian nationalism that we have seen, which is also disturbing. They use biblical principles and pervert them to justify this, she said, particularly in Texas. This is a growing movement, she continued. It, it's God, guns, and Trump, or God, guns, and whatever. It's a part of their ethos. Um, so um, as it turns out, um, bummer. Uh, that's, that's, that's the narrative, though. Christians are the problem. We're going to see more of that. We're going to see uh, uh, more martyrdom. Uh, martyrdom, you know, voice of the martyrs and these people that track per- Christian persecution around the world, um, so they're, they're arguing that we're seeing some of the worst Christian persecution in history right now around the world. Now, that's not us in America. A lot of other nations. Uh, ask the Christians in China how they're doing and other places in Africa. Um, but you can see sort of an anti-Christian movement starting to really surface here in, um, in the United States as well. Um, let me talk about a few other things that are happening. Um, uh, like, for example, the Russian threats. Uh, while, while the globalists are all saying, we're going to have Shangri-La and the world's going to be amazing, um, suddenly we have uh, Russia threatening. Did you hear the threat last week from one of the lead uh, politicians, Alexei uh, Zirovlev? Uh, was joined on a talk show by fellow MP and Russian state mouthpiece uh, uh, Yevgeny Popov. And Popov really popped off um, uh, on the Russia One Channel show. Um, and the lawmaker claimed that two Russian Samat Satan, they call them Satan missiles. That's what they named this missile, Satan. Um, Satan II missiles would destroy the entirety of American East Coast before adding it would take just two missiles for the West Coast. Four missiles and there'll be nothing left in America. They think the mushroom cloud will be taller than a high rise. No, the mushroom cloud will be visible from Mexico, said Zhuravlev. Um, and if you hear the speech, you can actually hear him speaking in Russian, but he's very passionate, slamming his fist and yelling that, he, that, we, they could, that you know, Putin could take the United States out with just four of these Satan missiles. Um, but um, that, you know, the world is on, you know, while, while, while the globalists are all excited about you know, bringing in everlasting peace, the world is going crazy right underneath them. Um, and that's why, you know, Klaus, when, or, uh, Santa Claus, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the guy that's saying, we, we gotta fix this stuff because we're, we're supposed to bring peace and prosperity. Um, so we gotta fix this stuff. But um, they've got Russia, of course, in the Ukrainian situation, but, but also threatening the United States. Uh, this is a threat of World War III. You have to understand that. Um, but a good Bible student will also always keep their eye on Israel. And let me kind of start to wrap things up on this because um, uh, you should be following this. Meanwhile, you know, while all this other stuff's going on in the world, there's always stuff going on in the world, but the stuff that's happening with Israel is the stuff that's most important. When you're a Bible prophecy person, Jerusalem, Israel, epicenter of all things Bible prophecy. Um, uh, the world, this is just one article you can find of many, um, but the world agrees just as of like this week, Iran has enough uranium to build an atomic bomb. They've officially reached that, uh, this UN agency says. Um, uh, this this, um, this uh, 
place in near Tehran. This is one of the facilities, a nuclear facility that was um, taken and bombed by, uh, um, nobody is officially admitting to this, but everybody knows Israeli drones have been thumping Iranian nuclear sites for the past you know, couple of years. Um, there's kind of an interesting TV series called Tehran right now. And, and they say, oh, all these are fictitious, you know, the, but it's really kind of exactly what's going on. If you've been watching the Tehran series, uh, the Mossad agent that's in Tehran, it's, it's kind of an amazing story that's made up, but it's actually what's really happening. The UN nuclear watchdog also said Tehran has failed to offer credible explanations about nuclear material found at several sites in recent years. Iran has now accumulated enough enriched uranium to be able to quickly produce more than a significant quantity of HEU, that's highly enriched uranium. They could at least make one bomb, said Daryl Kimball of the Arms Control Association think tank. The time it would take for them to do that can now be measured in days not months, not weeks. Um, so what's the nation that stands to lose the most with an Iranian nuclear bomb? Israel. Israel's been bombing and destroying with drones and stuff like that, but they can only do so much with drones. So what happened this week, uh, you should know. This is stuff that the news isn't really reporting on, but, um, but this week, uh, th- uh, this is a Jerusalem Post article, largest IDF drill ever. Is that important? IDF is the Israeli Defense Force. The largest drill that Israel's ever done in their history uh, happened this week. Should that be something we should talk about? I think it's huge. Um, uh, and so they, uh, they, they wrapped it up this week, uh, the uh, penultimate week. Um, but basically the week included numerous drills, almost every one of, um, of the IDF's branches, including air, ground, naval forces, as well as intelligence and logistics. Um, the IDF concluded on Friday the penultimate week of what they called Chariots of Fire, the largest training exercise in Israeli history. The month-long exercise simulated all-out war on many fronts and is aimed at strengthening the country's defenses and the resilience of its home front, as well as increasing the effectiveness of communication between various corps uh, and commands. This week's emphasis was on IAF drill named Lethal Arrow. The drill uh, included all of the Israeli Air Force branches, including fighter and cargo jets, drones, helicopters, air defense, special forces, all which operated with the support of the technical branch, air traffic controllers, staffers, command centers of both the standing army and reserves. The Israelis are practicing, readying, um, ultimately to, uh, and, and all the experts know what they've been doing. The reason they went out into the Mediterranean and some of these farther exercises is uh, they're, they're very much pretty sure Israel's posturing for an attack, an all-out attack on Iran. That's something that could be very important to the Ezekiel 38 prophecy of Iran, Russia, um, you know, Turkey, uh, and, and the other involved nations we've talked about in the Ezekiel 38 prophecy, the Gog-Magog war. That could be the very thing that kicks it off. If Israelis attack Iran, um, Russia has already promised they would come to the aid of Iran. Russia has already postured at the northern border of Israel, but the Jews have been practicing readying their military. Um, uh, just, to, just this last week, a Jerusalem Post article, um, accident at Iranian military research center was a drone strike. Uh, they called it an accident. Uh, Parchin was a sensitive military site in, uh, near uh, Tehran where Western security services believe Iran carried out 
um, tests relate, related to their nuclear bomb detonation. New York um, Times article, Israel uh, kills um, Iranian officer in an assassina uh, assassination attempt, uh, they were successful. And this is the photo of the funeral procession. The Israelis are dealing with the Iranians with or without the world, with or without peace treaties or all the agreements or the things that we haven't been able. But Colonel Syed uh, Kodei uh, was fatally shot outside his home on a quiet residential street in Tehran on Sunday when two gunmen on motorcycles approached the car, fired five bullets into it, according to the state media. Iran has blamed Israel for the killing, which bore the hallmarks of other Israeli targeted killings of Iranians. So I mean this Mossad agent type stuff in Tehran, motorcycle drive-by killing the top, um, you know, uh, Iranian terrorist. Um, meanwhile, um, you know, Israel's just arming to the teeth and getting ready for world conflict. This should be something you and I should know about. Now, um, man, I could go on and on tonight, but um, let me just end with this. Um, we'll kind of uh, fast forward to this. One of the things that you and I need to do and be concerned about, uh, of course, watching Israel, watching the world scene and Bible prophecy, but one of the things I'm really concerned about is in a day where the church should be most radical, in a day where the church should be most vocal and, and bright um, and salty, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, the day where we should be the most bright, the most salty, we've become milquetoast and weak. Um, and I'm worried about that. Um, and that's where I hope these Bible prophecy updates, one of the things I hope to do is not just go, wow, amazing, the world's falling apart. Um, no, we believe, first of all, the world's falling into place, exactly how God said it would. Um, that's the first thing. But the second thing is, this should stir you and I up to being on fire Christians. This is not a day to be like, yeah, cool, Brett did another prophecy update uh, and uh, things could be coming to an end, so whatever. No, um, Christians, sad to say, we're losing our saltiness. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, if you remember what Jesus had to say there in Matthew, let's just review this. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. That's what I feel like some of the churches become good for nothing. They're almost doing more damage than good, some of the church today. Um, it's good for nothing, but to be cast out, be trodden down under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven." Um, as reported by Decision Magazine, a new study uh, from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, ACU, guided popular pollster George, uh, they were guided by George Barnas. He's a research guy, Christian researcher, found that just, listen to this, this is heartbreaking. They found that 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have actually a biblical worldview. Did you hear that? 37% of Christian pastors in the United States. Now this is something I've sus suspected because I hear these preachers on YouTube and they're talking about victory and getting in shape and balancing your checkbook, but they don't have a biblical worldview at all. Um, so seriously, just 37%. Um, it'd be bad enough if less than four in 10 believers had a biblical worldview, but it's not just believers, it's less than four in 10 pastors. How can this be? The answer is they're not in the word. 
They're just tacking on little favorite scriptures of things that they sort of like to talk about, but they don't have a biblical worldview because they don't really actually believe the whole Bible as inspired, inerrant, perfect word of God. And because of that, the church is losing its saltiness. And so one of the things I love about what we get to do here at Atheist, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. Um, we're gonna keep talking about Bible prophecy because the Bible tells us, don't be ignorant, watch. Be watchful, waiting, ready. But above all, I think one of the things you and I should walk away with tonight is our you know, God-given duty to let our light shine before all men and not be afraid to talk about Jesus. Point people to Jesus, to remind them the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, that we shouldn't just go to work and watch people work their way right into hell. We should be people that are, you know, Brett, I don't wanna be that obnoxious. Don't be obnoxious, but be truthful and loving and honest with people. I think we've lost our brave uh, demeanor that we once had. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I, I had a lot of friends that would just go around and say, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior? And they're like, what, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you, thanks for asking. And they, you know, they just, there, there were people that just had a real gift of being able to speak truth and, and share the light of Christ to the unsaved. We need to get that back. We need to, in this day, we need to tell our neighbors, our coworkers, we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the days that we're living in are short. I really believe the rapture of the church could be at any moment. It's possible. Um, but until that happens, even if it's not near, we should be busy about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what the gospel is, it's so simple. There's some people say, I don't know what to say. Here it is. It's very simple. That we're all sinners. We're all doomed to hell. Bible teaches that. Clear as a bell. Um, but good news, while we were yet sinners doomed for hell, God so loved the world so much that he gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, in our place, substitutionarily. He took your place and he suffered on the cross and he said, it is finished. What was finished? The work of the salvation for anyone who would take it, anyone who would receive the good news of Jesus, they can be saved. So Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead. So what do you gotta believe? You gotta believe you're a sinner, repent of your sin and say, I'm a sinner, and acknowledge your sins before God. Then you have to say and believe that Jesus died for your sins and, and accept that. Confess that with your mouth. Believe it in your heart that Jesus died and that he rose from the grave. And then it says, you will be saved. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. When the rapture of the church happens, you get taken directly to heaven. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200 because $200 is chump chain in heaven. Um, we're gonna have, uh, heaven's gonna be glorious. So you go right to heaven if you're a believer in Christ, saved by his grace through faith. The people, if, if you listen to this, you're like, yeah, whatever, pastor, you're a bunch of weirdos. Well, that's probably true, but doesn't make us wrong. But if you should actually end up in the tribulation period when a global world leader comes on the scene and this whole thing of the mark, maybe the Lord will remind you of this very night that we talked about this, that you need to believe in Christ. And um, it'll cost you, but you still need to give your heart to the Lord. And even in the tribulation period, there's still chance for people to be saved. I just would think of today's the better day to be saved. Believe today in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for so great a salvation that you've given to us, Lord. We're saved by grace, not deserved, not earned, not anything we can measure up to or figure out, but Lord, just by your good grace, Lord, you save us by your mercy and your forgiveness. How thankful we are, Lord, and I pray that 
that you'd help all of my brothers and sisters watching this or here tonight, that Lord, we would be people that would be preaching the gospel wherever we go, trying to, to reach into people's lives that would never set foot into a church, but to share the truth, Lord, and that, that many might come to know you. Lord, I, I know that we live in a day where so much is crazy that there's so much we can actually talk about and then point back to you and, and show people where you really are the answer for the world today. So give us a boldness, Lord. I pray that you'd give us Holy Ghost inspired words as we go out and preach the gospel to, to speak with authority, but also to speak in love. So Lord, bless your church. Help us to be light and salt, even as you commanded. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Well, June prophecy update. There it is. And uh, we'll, we'll be back at it, Lord willing, in July, unless we're raptured between now and then. That'd be, that'd be the best prophecy update right there. Um, boom and zoom. That's what I believe in. That's not doom and gloom. It's boom and zoom. So may the Lord give you the hope of heaven in Jesus' name. We'll see you next time. You're dismissed.